Brothers and sisters, I want us to go somewhere for a moment. I want you to place yourself in this scene with me and all the details that I'm about to describe to you. You're walking on a dirt road. You're wearing garments that are unusual to the 21st century American. These garments are covering your whole body. They are like a tunic, like you would think of people wearing in the Roman Empire. You look down and you see yourself wearing sandals that are worn. They're worn down, but they're still in usable condition. There's tons of people around you. The crowds are going crazy. You see them yelling. You see women mourning and weeping. You see people laughing and you see people jeering and you see the flow of these people going up a hill. Now, you don't know what's going on, but there's excitement in the air and there's terror in the air. It's a mixture, but you decide to follow the crowd. You go up this hill. You go up and you see three men being laid on a tree in the shape of a cross. You see these soldiers, Roman soldiers, dressed in red banners, ironclad helmets, holding these three men down and nailing their hands into the tree, nailing their feet into the tree. You hear a woman right next to you saying, Jesus, Jesus, my precious Jesus. You hear people mourning, laughing. You see men playing a dice game near these three trees. And then you see the men suspended in the air as the cross raises up and these men are crying out in agony. There's blood all over them. There's a crown of thorns on the head of the man in the middle and above his head says the king of the Jews. This is a scene that we're all very familiar with. But then something else happens. For the sake of illustration, you see this man. There's a man dressed in fine clothes. He's dressed in fine robes, beautiful garments. He's a teacher of the law. He's a Pharisee. He's a righteous man in the sight of his people. But he walks over to the man hanging from that tree, this Jesus, and he says, Oh, Lord, I I thank you that I'm not like this criminal and these two criminals. I teach your law. I go to synagogue. I pray three times a day. I give money to the poor. I stay away from evil as best as I can. I'm a good man, and I'm not like this Jesus, this blasphemer. Now, brothers and sisters, as you're imagining this take place, you may be repulsed and disgusted with the words that this man, with the words that this man said about Jesus, how he boasted of his own merits, his own goodness, not even recognizing that the sinless, spotless Lamb of God was hanging right before him. How deluded and self-deceived this man must be to approach the Son of God with his own righteousness, with his own confidence in himself, even to the degree that he brings shame upon the name of Jesus and he declares himself to be the good and righteous one. Jesus is the criminal. He is the good man. How scandalous this is when we know what the gospel says as Christians. But yet this is what all of us do. This is what all of us do when we put our trust in anything other than Jesus Christ. This is what we do when we boast in ourselves and our own strength apart from the merciful hand of God. And today it is my task to present to you two states of the heart and God's response to them both, the prideful Pharisee and the heart of the humble tax collector. So if you would, please open your Bible to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. This passage will show you what God desires from the hearts of men. I want you to know 
how God views the status of your heart and thinking, wherever it may be today. I want you to leave here today with an understanding that the Lord despises the prideful and self-righteous and that He shows the mercy of His kingdom to the humble. My hope and prayer are to demonstrate that a true awareness of your sin will form in you a humble heart that trusts in the Lord Jesus alone for salvation. So let's read this parable before us today. Luke 18, starting in verse 9, reads as follows. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. To gain a better grasp of this parable, we must know that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He is traveling between Samaria and Galilee, and he has entered into a village. He has just healed the ten lepers when only one of them returned to give him thanks. He is speaking to the Pharisees about the coming kingdom of God. Where's the kingdom, Jesus? It's not going to come in ways that you see. It's going to come in ways that are unseen. In fact, the kingdom is in the midst of you. And then he tells the parable about the woman who prayed persistently with the unjust judge to the point where he would say, you can have what you need, you're annoying me, to tell us that a loving Father will receive us and will receive our prayers. This is the motion of what Luke is telling us in his gospel. And after this, that parable and this series of events, we see Jesus come now to this parable, this contrastive parable of this Pharisee and of the tax collector. We know that among the crowd that Jesus was addressing is clearly the likes of the Pharisees and those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. We know that in Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees often opposed Jesus and his disciples. And the majority of these people tried to defy Jesus' ministry because Jesus was the one who was constantly calling out their hypocrisy. As Jesus says in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat but gulp down a camel. These Pharisees, they claim to be shepherds of God's people Israel, but by teaching the Jews the commandments that they themselves added to God's law, they put a burden and yoke upon the Jews that they could not bear. They made God's law void, and they added their own traditions that God did not want. To, he didn't want them to follow them. And those laws that they added... Such an emphasis was put upon the Jews to obey these man-made traditions that they neglected the one thing which was necessary to have right relationship with God. Faith. Faith in God. Trust. These traditions of men that the Pharisees believed would make them more righteous in the sight of God led them to trust and rely upon themselves and their own actions to make them holy rather than looking to God. 
As the scriptures teach elsewhere concerning faith in Jesus, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Thus showing us today that, the many, that these Pharisees were already in egregious, terrible error because they had a faith, but it was rooted in themselves. It was rooted in their good works, in their acts of piety. This self-righteousness made those with a pharisaical heart look down upon those who were not good, as good as they were. And this is the exact attitude that Jesus is addressing in the parable. So first, let's look at this action that's taking place. Jesus says that the two men go up to the temple. This is a common practice in the first century. The Jews would go up to the temple as it was a place of worship. They could go, there were special services, but there was an opportunity for them to be able to go up whenever they wanted to pray to Yahweh, the Lord. We see an example of this in the earlier parts of Luke when we see Anna, the prophet, is praying, worshiping, fasting, day and night, speaking to the people about Jesus, the people who are waiting on the redemption of Israel. And so we see as they're going up, uh, they're going up to pray. And we see this today. It's, we meet for church every Sunday. We come up to the temple, so to speak, to worship our God. We worship. We can go to the Sabbath chapel and pray. It's the same thing, but in their time. This is where they went to worship. In the grand scheme, we know that the temple of God was where God wanted the nations to pray. And so let's see here. These two, these two men, they go up to this temple, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee, obviously, are these leaders. They sought to tell the people about God and his law. They sought to tell people about who God is. They like to show off their works. And so we see, as, the, as they tried to make themselves look holy on the outside before men, they wanted to be able to preach good works before men. But in reality, picture this Pharisee walking up. And as Thomas Brooks would call this Pharisee, he would call him a natural fool as he was walking up in the context of Luke. And he says the natural fools are taken more with the outward shine, luster, beauty, and glory of things than they are taken with the intrinsic value and worth of them. They are more taken with the shine and luster of gold, jewels, and precious stones than they are with the worth and value of them. Just so, unholy hearts, such as the Pharisee had, are taken more with the form of godliness than they are with the power of it. They are taken more with a name to live with the name of being holy, then they are taken with holiness itself. Based on the context of this passage in Luke, it is implied that the Pharisees going up to the temple to be seen by men, to parade himself, to seek the applause of those in the city of Jerusalem. The prophet Isaiah spoke of these kind of leaders. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you. They have swallowed up the course of your paths. By making a show of godliness, they only bring further damnation upon their own heads. They only increase their own guilt by approaching the Holy One of Israel in their pomp and arrogance without sincerely approaching Him in humility and meekness. They come like a little child who thinks they're a perfect little child, demanding of their parents to give them whatever they want when their parents have seen all their sins, all their disobediences, but yet they have this entitlement, this pomp. My dear brothers and sisters, what is your first thought on a Sunday morning as you approach the temple of God, so to speak? What is entering into your heart? Does your heart fill with love and gratitude for all of Jesus' blood that was shed on your behalf? 
Does your mind lift, lift its eyes to God, who is noble, trustworthy, and lovely? Or does your heart fill with a desire driven only to be seen and moved by men? Oh, I must attend service today because others will think something's wrong with me if I don't. Oh, I must get dressed for service and go show my dedication to the Lord so that others will think well of me. Oh, I must go up to preach this sermon so that I may show people that I'm doing my duty to God. What is the sole desire in your heart as you go up to the temple to worship your God, not necessarily just on Sunday, but every day because Jesus is our temple? God weighs our hearts. He sees our desires. And so let's take a deeper look at the first state of the heart in this prideful Pharisee, who is the first example that our Lord gives us in this parable. We see that the Pharisee is standing by himself. He's praying aloud, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. This is where we see the first error of the Pharisee. He addresses God in a pride that precedes him. I want you to see the verb tense in this passage. I am not like other men. I fast twice a week. I give my tithes. There's no acknowledgement of God who gave him all the gifts to accomplish these things. There is no remembrance of all the Lord has done to bring him into that position. He begins his prayer as if he was thanking God, but he doesn't even acknowledge God in the prayer. Acknowledge what God has done. I fast. The only fast given to God's people in the law of Moses was on the Day of Atonement. And so these men, through Jewish man-made oral tradition, would fast more to show that they're exceeding the demands of God's law. I give my tithes, he says. As a consumer, we see in the law of God in the Torah that only the farmers had to give tithes of their crops. But this Pharisee is a consumer of food, and he's showing once again that he's exceeding by tithing, by giving what he doesn't have to give to make himself look holy. Here there's only I, 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 entering into the most holy place of our God who, in whom we live and move and have our being boasting of his own accomplishments, his own power, strengths, and abilities. Out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. It is clear that the Pharisee is putting, off all, is putting all of his confidence in the things he has done. He is not like those other men. Those other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. The type of people that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save. Now, while it is a good and right thing not to take part in those sins, this is where he falls into sin. He compares his righteousness with that of other people. He makes himself the judge of what true goodness is. And yet the Pharisee fails to see that God is the one who weighs the heart. The Pharisee fails to press his inward motives against God's law, which would have led him to seek salvation. And the one who is named the Lord is our salvation. This is... This, my brothers and sisters, is a sad disposition of the heart. It's similar to an athlete approaching his coach and saying, Coach, I, I thank you for the opportunity to play this game. I'm better than everyone else. I, I never mess up in practice. I do all the heavy lifting in games. I'm the only highlight reel for this program. Oh, can you imagine what that coach would say? The coach who had examined his, his every move in practice. The coach who had watched film after every scrimmage and seen every little detail that this player needed to correct. This, self, this, this is self-righteousness at its core. Making ourselves and our efforts the standard of righteousness rather than Jesus Christ, his works and his cross. Think with me, brothers and sisters, what will we gain in boasting in ourselves? 
On the day of judgment, what will happen to those who place their faith in their works of religious piety and their service and being a good person? I believe you know the answer to that. But as Paul says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. How could we boast of any work that we have ever done or ever, or ever will do when God is, when we are God's workmanship? Who sustains our heart and our life this hour? Who prepared and it, who has prepared every good work that you will ever accomplish in this life as a believer? Is it not Jesus Christ? Where is our boasting when we have understood the nature of grace? Modern-day Pharisees, they, they crowd our churches and in the Bible Belt especially. They mix a belief in Jesus with their own efforts of being religious. It's Jesus plus church. It's Jesus plus giving money. It's Jesus plus, oh, I'm a good person. It's never just Jesus. It's, they seek a refuge in being a good person, looking Christian on the outside when inwardly they are whitewashed tombs. Inwardly corp- they are inward corpses. Many people who call themselves Christians don't know what true Christianity is. They believe that because their names are written in their church membership role, that their name is written in the book of life. George Whitfield, the great awakener preacher, says that if you examine such people, they have a Christ of the head, but no Christ in the heart. End quote. Their heart is spiritually dead, carried along by Satan in their flesh because they haven't been born again into the living hope that we have as believers. The Spirit of God has not given them a new heart, regenerated them, making them a new creation in Christ. Notice that the Pharisee doesn't even confess any sin in his heart. And he's approaching the one who's named holiness. God, my name is holiness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, brothers and sisters, and the truth is not in us. Clearly, the Pharisee stumbles at God's righteousness, as many of them did. But let's see how the tax collector's heart is different. The second state of the heart that Jesus conveys to us here. See this contrast. Jesus immediately compares this Pharisee with the tax collector who was standing far off from the Holy of Holies in this place of prayer. This implies that he sees himself as unworthy to even get that close to the chambers of God's holy temple, the inner sanctum. This tax collector understood the sanctity and the cleanliness of God's presence to the degree that he wouldn't even lift his eyes up to the Lord. Picture him on his knees, trembling before the presence of God, much like Isaiah when he had the heavenly vision of the Lord sitting in his temple. I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Much like Isaiah, the tax collector senses his guilt, beats his breast, which was a sign of mourning in Jesus' day. And upon beating his breast, he cries out in a loud voice, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's as if he's saying, oh God, I address only you. Only from you can I receive mercy and forgiveness. I aim to find refuge only in you. I know I deserve to be punished. Turn your wrath away from me. 
The only one this tax collector looks to for mercy is God, Yahweh, the Lord. There is full recognition of who he is, his sin and guilt. Like David who cries out, O Lord, be gracious to me after his sin with Bathsheba. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, wash my guilt away, cleanse me from my sin. I'm conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass it. You are blameless when you judge. And also like the prodigal son who cries out after he had enough of his worldly vanities, Father, I have sinned against heaven in, and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. It is as if this tax collector in Jesus' parable heard the voice of the prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of the Lord. This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person. One who was humble submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. It was as if the heart of this tax collector cried out saying these words by the 1700s great awakening preacher Samuel Davies, where were my eyes that I never before saw the horrid evil of my conduct and the shocking deformity of my sin, which now opens to me all its hideous colors. Amazing that divine vengeance has not broken out upon me before now. Can it be that I am yet alive? Alive in the land of hope too. Yes, alive, a humble, pardoned, penitent. Let heaven and earth be astonished at this, for surely the sun never shone upon a wretch so undeserving, so great a monument of mercy. Brothers and sisters, this tax collector did not mention the righteous deeds that he had accomplished in life. There was no boasting in his personal background, his culture, his ethnicity, his socioeconomic background, how much he had given to the needy, how he avoided terrible sins. As a tax collector, he was hated by all who were in Judea because he drained the people of their finances and they hated him for it. But in this moment, this tax collector, who is despised by the world, despises himself in his sin more than any hater that he had ever encountered. No matter what, this man knew he was the sinner. He could cry out with the Apostle Paul, I am the chief of sinners, me, he was the worst of the worst because his eyes had seen the King, the Lord of glory. To you who hear my voice this moment, where is this cry in your heart? Has your heart and soul tasted the glimpse of what you are in your sin in the presence of our holy God? Has the Holy Spirit softened your hearts to the realities of God's holy purity, his righteous anger, and his vengeance against the wicked? Have you been brought to such an awareness of your sin and evil in your hearts that you see your own righteousness, your own goodness as but filthy rags before his holiness? I would beg of you to listen to me this evening. As Charles Spurgeon once said, God finds in himself the motive for blessing men who have no merits. Praise God. If God looked for any motive in us, he would find none. He would see in us many reasons why he should condemn us, but only in himself could he discover the motive for his matchless mercy. God works his great wonders of grace with the high motive of making known to his creatures his own glory, manifesting what he is and who he is, that they may worship him. End quote. Brothers and sisters, we must get outside of ourselves and ask God for a heart like this penitent tax collector in order for us to be effective in the kingdom of God. We must be a people who cry out daily, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, forsaking all trust in ourselves and placing all trust in the finished work of Jesus' sinless life, burial, death, burial, and a resurrection from the dead. 
we must realize that the gospel comes to those like that of this tax collector. The good news comes to those who are seen as the most vile and evil in this world. The gospel is also for the self-righteous too. Pastor Burke Parsons says, the gospel isn't just for abortionists, prostitutes, homosexuals, but for porn-addicted pastors, unconverted elders, and self-righteous churchgoers. The gospel is for all of us, both sides of the aisle in this parable. It takes the work, my friends, my brothers, it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit to form Christ in our hearts, which means it is only the humble heart we'll receive the generosity that God offers us in the gospel. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, generosity to the humble. Self-righteousness and the pride that so easily arises in our hearts is what grieves the Holy Spirit. And it is what displeases our Father who sent his Son to die for us. Just as the tax collector sought mercy, we who have trusted in Jesus Christ alone for our soul's salvation have received a reconciliation with God we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because he has done everything necessary to secure our souls, to forgive all of our trespasses. Because of Jesus pouring out his blood on that tree, all of the wrong we've done in secret and in public is atoned for and washed as white as snow. This is what the Lord says, though. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. He will be like a juniper in the Arabah. He cannot see when good comes, but dwells in the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land where no one lives. So see, lastly, God's praise of the penitent. Our Lord Jesus told his listeners that this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified. He went down. He who humbled himself, the Lord was pleased to pardon. The one who humbled himself, the Lord saw fit to hear. The one who humbled himself, the Lord, the Lord saw fit to restore and answer. Just as the Lord spoke to King Hezekiah in the Old Testament, so he will speak the same to you who are broken and mourning over your sin. As God said then, he says to you now, as I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. As Samuel Davies says once more, the rock of ages such as never has failed, never will fail humble penitents who cast their burden upon the Lord Redeemer, who roll all their guilt and fix their whole hopes upon this immovable foundation. That foundation is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. The tax collector is aware of the evil in his heart, his sinful condition before our maker. And God saw fit to declare him righteous. And as we know today, to be declared righteous before God, that comes only through God's grace, through our faith in Jesus. But this Pharisee left the temple that day thinking he was in reality righteous, but God said he was condemned. He left believing that he had a right relationship with God. He was like the Titanic, taking off from the harbor of Southampton, England in the year 1912. It looked good on the outside. It was powerful. Men boasted of it. It went on, and men were parading it like it was the greatest thing that had ever been created. But then it hit the iceberg. And so it will be on that last day. There will be so many people walking, boasting of their own accomplishments, many people even in the pews who journey across the sea called life, trusting in their own goodness and might. They will only see the sea of everlasting burnings and fire that awaits them the moment that they breathe their last. They will have no more opportunity for deliverance, just like the Titanic, just like the rich man in Lazarus. 
but you who have trusted in Christ, you have hope. You have seen his great love for you. You have seen the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. Where does your soul stand today, brothers and sisters? Where does your heart stand? Do you have childlike trust in Jesus, God alone, to deliver you from the wrath to come? Go back to that scene. Go back to the beginning scene. We see the jeering. We see the mocking. We see the spit, the flogging. We see the self-righteous. But I pray that in our hearts we would go before the cross of Jesus, getting down on our knees, not even looking up to heaven and saying, oh Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Don't fool yourself today. Come to the Lord Jesus. Don't hide any sin. Don't hide any transgression. Don't hide anything from the Lord. He sees your heart. Come to him. Like Peter when he saw Jesus, I am a sinful man, Lord. And you will see that Jesus, he will exalt you. May Jesus' words stand true until he returns and calls us home. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his God.